We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm looking for the doctor. You've certainly come to the right place. Ultra! Yes, and what do you do? I push! Well, I do my best. No, no, no. For once, I would like to know where I'm going. No, you really wouldn't. You know, I really think you might. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums. Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And I am not, we are not alone this week. We it's have. not just Chris Taylor and Pete Paschal. We have a special guest. Guest. It's very Hi. exciting. Uh, I'm Elisa. Thanks for having me. Alisa Stern, animator, veteran of Mashable.com, where we have all worked. And uh, you are perhaps best known to the Doctor Who community as the creator of Doctor Puppet. That's right. has millions, millions of views on the YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, many people. And the Instagram. And the Instagram. All over. Very, very charming uh, puppet story. So, Elisa, tell us your your history of Doctor Who fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, probably more recent than neither of you. I got into Doctor Who around 2008, so relatively new to the show. But I got I got into it hard, I guess you could say, and um, having access to most of it through Netflix allowed me to binge it, and I very much enjoyed it. And then very much got on board with Matt Smith when he started, and the rest is history. And started Doctor Puppet in 2012, but really got into making Doctor Puppet in 2013, which was a very special year for Doctor Who. And I think that that is why Doctor Puppet really took off the way it did. And, yes, wow, you made me uh, nostalgic for the days when you could find Doctor Who on Netflix and you didn't have to subscribe <laughs> to like three different services to, to yeah, see Yeah, well, I, I I got it on disc originally. Ah, yeah, did I? <laughs> and it's so it's so appropriate that you've joined us for for this week's episode because we are we are in 2013. The randomizer Ooh. has taken us to the day of the Doctor. Q fanfare in the Ooh. background, uh, which many of us believe to be the best ever Doctor Who story. We'll we'll get into whether the three of us still believe that uh, shortly. But but Doctor Puppet was. Uh, intimately connected to the day of the doctor and it starts with smith meeting tenant as as day of the doctor does and you had to insert the war doctor halfway through production when, or, yeah when that was revealed so i i did um dr puppet predicted a lot of stuff on, on on doctor who i mean my my um 12 and um sorry not 12 11 and 10 meeting that um, Dr. Puppet video I started making in January of 2013 and released it in March of 2013. So a little bit early. Um, I did a lot of stuff because I was doing it all to 
attempt to create a um, 11 doctor story that would have celebrated the 50th anniversary uh, in stop motion. Didn't quite um, hit that deadline, but that was my <laughs> attempt. So I was, uh, I was trying to do my own version of a 50th anniversary special right there. Indeed. Oh, an 11 doctor story. I mean, we, we can only dream in, in the, <laughs> the real world about this. And I think big finish has come kind of halfway there. Something like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, their their fiftieth special, they didn't have the rights to all of them, right? So they had to, they had their it was like a five doctor story, right? Yes. Been done, been done. Go, Meyer guys, just, but you did, you did a Meyer. So so props to you. That's well, awesome. when I eventually did do my multi, my true multi doctor story, by then the twelfth doctor existed. So the Doctor Who finale ended up being a thirteen doctor story with the War Doctor in there too. Nice. Wow. Well, it gets confusing when you get yes. to the higher numbers now because of this story. Yes. <laughs> which we're going to get into in a yes. little bit. I feel like somewhere in the background of that of that Dr. Puppet finale, there should have been the audio. No, sir. All 13. And then... <laughs> <laughs> well, there's my little War Doctor cameo. He makes a mid-credits um, like Marvel-style cameo, and he's lounging on a beach uh, enjoying a tropical beverage and not being involved with the plight the other doctors have just been in and written on the sand it says no more no more <laughs> which, oh, which i think is no him saying i mean to me it meant no more doctor puppet but for, <laughs> to him it meant like no more wars no more being involved with this i'm gonna sit on a beach forever and that's where i want to believe that the war doctor spent some time outside of the war I don't oh, yeah. think that I don't you, think that's true, but I want to believe it. You got to imagine he had time off for good behavior. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he had some time on a beach. So. He was in that war for four hundred years. He earned some vacation time, and you got to think if, if in any situation you get unlimited vacation, it's got to be a time war. <laughs> you know, you can take your unlimited vacation, then come back to where you left off, fully refreshed and tanned and and ready, ready to go. Uh, well, we should be ready to go into into our show, and uh, let's let's do a little previously on mm-hmm. uh, previously on pull to open. We were at the Idiot's Lantern and yes. uh, didn't know where we were going next, as we do. We always hit the randomizer at the end of every show, and we challenged <laughs> Pete. You remember this week? We challenged yeah, the randomizer. You challenged the randomizer to give us a Dalek story. Which we have not Which done. We have not done we any Dalek story so far. We have not done a single Dalek story yet. And it kind of delivered in a very cheeky way because this is not really known as a Dalek story, but it does have a billion, billion Daleks in it. So it's technically <laughs> the story with the most Daleks on screen. Yeah, it's not bad. And it's, you know, there's the Daleks have very limited screen time in this one, but it's fairly satisfying when they do. So, you know, I'll count it. I'll count it. It's fine. <laughs> And I can wait a minute if I can say, like, you challenged the randomizer to give us the most, like, forgettable, most boring (laughs) episode possible. And just, I think you mastered the reverse psychology of this thing because it's clearly, like, just like, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you asked me to do. Yes, exactly. I was like giving because the Idiot's Lantern, you know, not not the most memorable Doctor Who story in history. Even those those who love it would admit that. Even though surprisingly, our fans on TikTok might disagree yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. I I was I was pleasantly surprised. This I think it's so much Tennant and Rose love hmm. there. Um, good costume. Also, it's good costume. I'll give them that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's also, I mean, I, I just kind of an ongoing thread that I fear, fear her. I get at some point we're going to end up at fear her. And, and I fear that I fear that week. Um, I would too. <laughs> so watch the randomizer, leave it to last. Um, <laughs> be the very last episode of the show uh, except of course now Doctor Who has resumed there will be more stories we'll add them to the spreadsheet at some point we will catch up so much uh, fear we're recording this weeks before Halloween so mm. I don't know You're, you might be giving it some ideas my friend yes indeed yes indeed uh, but before we go any further our regular segment of the show is called TLDW too long didn't watch too long doctor who i don't know who would describe the day of the doctor as too long mm. uh, if anything it is too short uh and but just manages to pack an amazing amount into it 77 minutes but it is at 77 minutes a special case normally we give uh one of us 30 seconds per classic episode and one minute per new who episode um with this one, we've we've decided that it will be ninety seconds, uh, and Elisa has graciously agreed to be our first mm-hmm. uh, guest who does the TLDW <laughs> for us. Oh, Elisa, I got it. My hats off to you. I yes. have a hat. Hi. People on YouTube can see it. I've got a. This is a this is a brave one because not only yeah. you, you've, you've never done this, you're doing it for the first time, but you're also doing it for. The day of the doctor, so I can't imagine the pressure mm. you're under. But I'm just going to thank you now for removing it from me, as it was my turn <laughs> to do this segment. Uh, so, yes, now no people will do yeah, no, the fear no of promises. summary. No promises. Yes. It will Speaking be of fear. <laughs> um, so shall we do it? Shall we give you a countdown? Please. Yeah, Pete, you're, you're okay, going to do the so timing? I'll do the timing. I've... I've, I've have some responsibility here. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I will, I will uh, whisper uh, when you pass 30 seconds and when you pass a minute. So you, you have some idea. And then uh, of course I'll, I'll have to yell time at a minute 30. It's just the rules. It's I don't make them up. I don't do, but anyway, <laughs> but, but keep, uh, going, keep going for the, for the purpose of social yeah. media, keep going. Yeah. Finish it. <laughs> finish it. Just finish. If you, it's like, it's like the Olympics always finish. Gotcha. <laughs> if you okay. late. It's like if I were to run a marathon, yeah. just take a while. All right. Um, okay. Are you ready? Do you need a minute? Do you need? Do you need a sip of tea? Perhaps. That's water. Okay. There you go. It's important to stay hydrated for TLDW. Okay. All right. I'm ready. All right. In three, two, one, go. Okay. This episode. It's not very. It's easier to think about it if you do it from a non-linear point of view because it's very Moffaty. So really, the episode starts with the time war, and the Zygons have lost their their planet um, in the time war. So the Zygons steal some Time Lord tech that allows them to exist in a moment of time, and then they end up in England. Um, not sure exactly how, but they do. It doesn't matter. They're there. They're in England, and. And now the doctor's involved. <laughs> and, oh my God, this pressure. And You're doing great. You're doing great. Simultaneous to stuff happening in England, the Time War is happening. The War Doctor is faced with the choice of whether he's going to kill all the Time Lords and the Daleks to end the war. And now we have all the doctors coming together because the Time Lord, the, sorry, the, the War Doctor steals other tech that allows this thing to open 
because it has a consciousness and it's trying to guide him to make the right decision. And now all the doctors are together and they need to simultaneously stop the Zygon invasion happening on Earth and also figure out what to do with the Time Lord, Time War. And they think that the War Doctor has killed everyone, but he hasn't yet. So they guide him to make the decision to not kill everyone. And then Tom Baker shows up at the end and um, it's very uh, lovely. Time. And Carl is there. <laughs> Okay, I sort of I, I wobbled at the beginning, but maybe I brought it through. Oh, good! You brought end. it home. You got to Tom Baker at the end. That's where we left it. That's that's what happens. <laughs> I, 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 I if I stopped trying to say War Doctor and Time War and Time Lord, I would have done it in thirty seconds faster. <laughs> <laughs> you could have got the whole thing in twenty seconds if you left all those words out. Yes, I, you I might, love you. Might you. Some stuff. But I love you. Uh, you introduced it with your method, which is like, I'm not going to do this in uh, screen order. We're going to do it in non-linear. Oh, non I've been thinking right. about this episode all week. It's very, it's it's so moffity and it's so wibbly wobbly. Mm. You know, stymie wimey. It's ultimate moffat. Um, he just weaves it together, but ultimately, it's a really simple story, just told from many points of view that are not in order, and it's like. It's just wonderfully woven together. Well, um, exactly, and I, th I think you nailed it. Like, like it's going into this episode. I mean, you think of the Herculean task, and you know, there's mm. you know, Moffat has been on record about how much pressure he was under, and he didn't enjoy season seven and whatever because of that. And the, the things you need to do, right? You have to do like a cinematic epic for Doctor Who, and how do you do that? Well, how do you stay true to the show and the things that make the show the show, while also pleasing? getting a ton of references in there for longtime fans love letter to them but also make it accessible to like people who are casual like ultimately it's a, it's a show that for the masses and it still needs to be an enjoyable thing for people who are just kind of casually watch doctor who mm -hmm. um plus you got to do it with lit really like a multi-doctor story with really only two proper doctors you know like if you think about it like it's only smith and tenant are really the only like i mean sure third is by virtue of this episode becomes one but it's like there's really nobody else who's came with Cragleson didn't come into it. So he, he's sort of like behind the eight ball on this. And he, he somehow did it. Like he, he ticked all the boxes. Like you're just constantly pleased as a fan. It's like even casual fans I know are like, oh yeah, that was so good. It was super fun. And it really, really shouldn't work. And it, it right. shouldn't work on paper. And it does. And yep. it is extraordinary. I hope that, obviously, for the 50th anniversary special, we got an adventure in space and time, which looked back at the very first episode. I hope that for the 100th special, we have a drama of how... D. In 12D, oh. <laughs> the doctor mentions that in his cinema introduction, which we'll, we'll get to. But I, I love the idea that someday the story will be told of how much of a mess the 50th anniversary could have been. Yeah. Uh, because it started off with only only Jenna Coleman was was contracted to appear in it, and Moffat actually started writing a script called The No Doctors. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. <laughs> Starring just. Also known as Mission to the Unknown. No. Uh, 
<laughs> the new doctors, which is, I, I think, eventually informed the name of the doctor, right? And her jumping into the doctor's time stream. You know, we got a glimpse of what that would have looked like. It would have been a whole story, a whole 77 minutes of Clara going, no, you want to take that type 40, not not this one. That one's busted. And, and just missing people in weird yeah. colored coats as they walk a by. Of, a bunch of cosplayers <laughs> walking by with their heads conveniently cropped out. Um, I Lisa. actually was at, I was at Gallifrey 1 in 2018 and Moffat like talked about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And, um, like I went to... That must have been just after he finished the novel, come to think of it, because I think that mm-hmm. came out in 2018. Wow, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It so was... it makes sense it was on his mind. There yeah, we, we should definitely mention the novel, which which everyone should read, I believe. It it deepens the mythology, and it's just sort of crazy and nutty and hilarious. And best written Doctor Who book ever, I think. Yeah, it's outstanding. There's all these sort of interstitial chapters that are not really chapters, but are like, supposedly it's the writer talking directly to the reader with psychic paper, which seems, it sounds kind of silly, but it's because it's Moffat and he has that, he, the cleverness of his dialogue really translates in those passages, I think. Mm. And, and they're really fun. And um, the, the missing, the missing chapter nine, which is a uh, slight yeah. reference to <laughs> Eccleston's lack of participation. But you, you said that at Gallifrey one, he, he talked about meeting Eccleston in the yeah. early stages. I so it must have been a, a panel um, where he just talked about the the how the fiftieth came about. I'm, I'm fairly certain. It'll go back look at the Gallifrey one 2018 um, <laughs> the the schedule, but I think that's what it was. And he he talked about um, having some meetings with Eccleston. But what I th- I thought was hilarious and kind of mind blowing is I mean if at least one of those meetings he had was in public. He mentioned mm. meeting him at a cafe or something. I'm just how how did no one I mean, I guess it's right. London, and it, London people don't notice these things. Um, Is London like Hollywood now or something? Yeah. No one <laughs> noticed like Eccleston and Moffat like having coffee, and like Moffat probably intensely staring at Eccleston, trying to like you know convince him to um, do this, but it didn't work. Even though Eccleston seems to be a, a, a nice guy, just a little mm-hmm. stubborn. And um, it didn't work out. He he mentioned that. He did mention only having Jenna Coleman to work with, possibly. And it sounded like the way they, leading up to finalizing the 50th, like all of these decisions were made with weeks um, right. until it needed to shoot. When they cast John Hurt, I mean, to get to not having Eccleston, to creating the War Doctor took weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And basically the way Moffat described it at, at that at that panel is he said that he like was talking to whatever executives at the BBC and kind of the, the solution to not having Eccleston. He said, well, we have this new doctor and he's played by the most famous actor in the world. And he just threw that. And they were like, like what actor? And they're like, John Hurt. And someone said, great calls agent. And it just happened like overnight. Like John Hurt was cast within days of them wanting him. And then it was like, tick, tick, tick. And they put it together. Like, always makes me feel really good about like my own um films and, and projects when i hear this and i'm like wow i'm just like the bbc like <laughs> yes <laughs> i love this <laughs> I, I love this aspect Everyone's of always winging it. it is yeah. yeah nobody knows what they're doing i love no one, it I, everyone well, is winging it at all times yes especially for something like this when you have like they're used to doing things a series at a time and then suddenly oh you have to do this extra thing too which they know certainly well in advance, probably arguably in decades in advance. Yes. But it's like, 
you, and it's going to kind of put it off, right? You, you say my future self will take care of that until <laughs> it's like you, you, the, the last minute. You suddenly, at some point, you realize you are your future self, and you're like, oh wow, I have no time to do this. Yeah, <laughs> and or it's the st- episode in history, and it's going to be simulcast around the world, and it's going to be in movies, <laughs> the movie theaters. But no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> and it's like it's, you're very much beholden to whatever actor will is willing to be under contract. Well, so let's like, let's yeah. talk about Eggleston for a second, just because. Yeah. You know, we don't have to get into him himself, and his, he's kind of always been mercurial about his relationship with Doctor Who. But it, it, just think about how it would have been different if he was in the role. And I honestly think, given how this turned out, uh, like, I, I, even though I really want him more involved with more Doctor Who, and I, I kind of, on one level, I really wish he had come back for this special, I think the, the whole secret Doctor thing is just so interesting, inspired, mm-hmm. says, like, it gives even more weight to the drama of like his shame of like what he did. And it, it, it actually like works better, I think. And also, you know, as, as, as uh, Moffat himself is uh, described, it syncs up better with Rose, the, the episode in that yeah. he's so clearly new, like he's clearly just regenerated in Rose. Like there's so much bits of it. It would really be hard to kind of like retcon that and like say, Oh, he would, he, he was the doctor who fought in the war the whole time. But uh, I'm kind of, you know, like the way this turned out, I think, okay, yeah, this, he really like turned this lemon into lemonade. Yeah. And he's, he's prime. You know, Eccleston is now primed when he sees Rose to rescue her and, and fall in love right. with her. And it just sort of has that sort of tingling back of the brain sensation of like, oh, I met you before somehow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, speaking of the Eccleston script, so Eccleston has, has reportedly said that he hated the version of the script with him in. And then later he read the version of the script with the war doctor and loved it. So, you know, showing that I, I think that he has just has good taste about this. And he sort of was maybe some self-sacrifice going on. Like we think of him being ornery and like, oh no, I just don't want to do this. But maybe it was just all about the script. It wasn't a good script with him in. And you can kind of see that. So I'm holding up a copy of uh, A Second Target for Tommy, which is a <laughs> uh, charity book that you can only find in physical forms. Very rare these days. Uh, you have to, I think, order it on Amazon.co.uk. But buried in here, Stephen Moffat has allowed, for the, for the only time, a portion of an early script with Eccleston in it. Uh, and it's the scene where the Doctor meets the moment in the barn for the first time. It's basically the same as what we see on screen with John Hurd, except he's saying things like, uh, you know, uh, it's not a chair love. It's the most dangerous weapon in the universe. It's like, you know, it's very, it's very, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's like, uh, now, now you need to get away. You need to pick a direction and just run. Uh, you know, he says something like off your pop at some point, uh, you know, just sort of, like, yeah. uh, it's it's Eccleston. It's you can really northern. picture him. He's clearly written like you can tell the lines are written with him in mind. Even the way like someone like Eccleston, Eccleston says mm-hmm. away in a certain way. You know, like he's he. You know, you, uh, you can tell like Moffat is so familiar with him that he's he's tailoring the script to it. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of like you you want a little bit of that. You know, like I mean, you like if if it was him in that role, like I think it would have been sort of more satisfying but i think it also would have been a slightly more sort of insular fan service story i think it would still would have been great but um yeah like with and well, to cast john hurt wow to do it this way you insulate all of the actual doctors from from that horrible moment of right. 
destroying Gallifrey, you it allows you to think that they actually are going to destroy Gallifrey, which mm-hmm. makes it a nice kind of you know third act reversal when they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it hurt is just he's so delightful in this and so sort of fragile and raw and vulnerable. Um, and you you get that wonderful moment at the end where where Clara says, you know, I knew you were younger because your your eyes look younger. Yeah, and and he has oh, so and you just sort of grab your heart at that moment, right? Which wouldn't have worked in an Eccleston context. So I think that there are a lot of things here, and also it. So I may have talked about this on the show before, but I have a theory that when new the new Doctor regenerates, he is always inspired by the last companion that he mm. sees. I don't know if this is you know <laughs> intentional, but like you know, Capaldi got a Scottish accent because he saw uh, he saw Pond you know, uh, in his last seconds as Matt, as Matt Smith, right? So it kind of works all the way through, you know. Uh, Eccleston was hanging out with this uh, London girl, so he gets a London accent as tenant. Um, and in this case, the War Doctor talks to Clara last before popping off in the TARDIS and regenerating. So, and lo and behold, he emerges with, Clara has a Northern, northern. English accent. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly lots of planets have a north. Suddenly the Doctor is northern. So it, it really works out. It connects all the dots in this wonderful timey-wimey way. One of the things that uh, Moffat was really sure to do with the special was to connect all the dots, make sure we see every regeneration, including the night of the Doctor, obviously the, the special episode right. at the start that we should talk about. Uh, but he wanted it. It was very important for the time of the Doctor, obviously, for us to see that the Doctor had had uh, 12 regenerations already. Um, well, so, I really uh, liked how, like, Moffat, um, actually, I kind of resented it at the time, but I, I, I also really like that at this point in his run, he's so confident in his role as showrunner, and I think he really kind of embraced this responsibility of the 58th anniversary special of be like and, and basically taking that license. Okay, I can show how the eighth doctor of a generated. Like who 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 but me? The the showrunner right now. Like I mean, like who else is gonna do it? Like with the next guy, That'd maybe but it's, it's gotta happen. Yeah. Like, yeah so, so it's kind of like you know, he he I think he took that responsibility and also didn't take it lightly, right? Like it's like he knew he had to do it this all these sort of epic things and it just made sure they were really good. But man, when I, I remember the when the night of the doctor debuted and I think it was a little bit, the timing was weird because somebody leaked oh, something, but. It, it like came out in the morning because it, it was, yeah. Yeah, it got leaked or it was about to be leaked and they had to release it, but it was also Paul McCann's birthday, wasn't it? It was. Well, like, oh, weird. And it was a weird coincidence. I think so. I just it remember not, it was. You, it did not come out when it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah. I just, they could not have hyped like as a hype vehicle for longtime fans for oh the, the 50th. Like. Boom, like, she talked about breaking the internet. Like, this was, like, the Doctor Who portion of the internet went, like, if you could just harness the energy that day, it was just, ah! Like, you know, it was, but he's, again, he, they, he came back! You know, they had all these misleads and the lead-up, like, no, I'm not part of it. Like, they, like, he wasn't called or whatever. And then, boom, there he is. And they, not only that, they show the regeneration. It's just, like, a great little mini-episode, too. Like, all he, the, had a, he had a new costume! <laughs> Yeah, all of it. He's also like it felt closer to the War Doctor too. So it was like a little, a little step. They had the like Sonic strap to him. Yeah, he's also one of those guys who just blessed with like good DNA, right? He looked exactly, pretty much exactly the same as he did in '96. I've I've met him in person too. He does just look like that. Yeah, 
glows. Yeah, he's definitely got a portrait in the attic somewhere. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it set, it set the tone for all of it, the time war, what they were going to be doing. Um, yeah. you know, taking them, all his big Finnish companions, yes, which was cool. Instantly making them canon, canon. which was awesome. Uh, I love life. how the show just does that, you know, just, you know, as a fan, you're just, Charlie existed. There was apparently a, a very briefly a version of the script where it was going to be McGann. Uh, mm-hmm. As the as the war doctor, mm-hmm. which would have been interesting. Again, not quite as good as John Hurt because nobody's John Hurt. But apparently, the BBC said no to the no no classic doctors. Uh, right, McGann counts as a classic doctor, though he shouldn't really. Well, the curator almost does, but I mean, yeah. I guess they, you can't. Uh, it's not a doctor per se. Yes, um, and then of yeah. course we, we we don't have to talk about it much, but there was the five-ish doctors, which was really just a parody oh, yeah. special. Which uh, does that it's exist great. anywhere? I feel like there was some rights issues with that one because like it's hard, it's elusive. It's somewhere was online. It released on YouTube originally. It's on it was... BritBox. You can watch it on BritBox now as a, as an extra, which is weird because there's nothing else about the fiftieth on Brit... <laughs> except adventure in face, adventure in space and time and uh, and this, uh, but nothing on Britbox. Uh, but yeah, the five-ish Doctors in which is revealed that the Doctors are supposedly, I guess canonically, actually there under the sheets uh, <laughs> where the Zygon, the Zygons have replaced the statues. Didn't yeah. that, wasn't actually filmed that way, but you know, it's it's pretty to think so. Yeah, cute. And, uh, uh, but yeah, so- McGann, McGann's appearance is so good. I mean, I, I really wish that the Night of the Doctor had been part of, of the anniversary story. Uh, obviously, they had a lot to be getting on with. Uh, the way the way it was revealed was perfect. So we all instantly I know, imagine if it. that was like um, before the fiftieth, like theatrically, like you didn't even know you were going to get that. Like yeah. people would have lost their minds. I mean, there were so many surprise doctors, which you know, Capaldi also like yes. surprises in there. Imagine if we started with like a little short film <laughs> about the eighth Doctor, and we didn't know we were getting that. <laughs> But it's also the, the doctor you were expecting. Yeah. The, the exactly. other, uh, and somehow he pulls that line off. It's like so, like almost cliche, but it's just so good because it's Paul McGann. It's Paul freaking McGann. Just the voice, even you just hear it. It's yeah. like what? Really? Oh my god, that's him. Like, One thing for so the, the doctor, I don't think gets talked about enough is the. I mean, obviously, the, the shock at the heart of it is the fact that Cass his who would be his like they they are following the script of like how you how you pick up a new companion so to speak and uh you know but she's she's the first one really that we ever see who resists and resists yeah. with horror and we find out in the novel is because you know her she's been she's become a grizzled veteran of the time war um and and been through all these terrors and nightmares and holds the time lords responsible for destroying her ship uh, because they did, because the ship was apparently blocking the view of something strategic they needed to see. So that's the backstory of that. Hmm. And then, she, so she she prevents the Doctor from saving her. She dies. But also, the Doctor did not get into the TARDIS to save himself. Right. Right? Yeah. He just crashed on the planet. So that speaks to the fact that he himself is exhausted and wants to die. Yeah, that's one part that I... I don't know if it comes across because you're not, you know, privy to what he's been through. And I don't, you know, like that is one of the things that always kind of nagged at me a little bit about that. Like, why wouldn't he at one point turn around? And I guess in my mind, I was like, well, maybe he just misjudged 
the timing of it. I mean, this one time, but yeah, it kind of makes sense. I think the way you interpret it, Chris, and that yeah. is just so weary and, you know, kind of feels probably feels a lot of impending doom about the universe itself. And that it's like, you know, the sisterhood on Karn says it's very nearly over. Yeah. And, but then and that, lead, that leads to the war doctor when he makes a choice to be a warrior. Right. Yeah, you have to build in that that sense that he's tried. He's tried to be yeah. neutral for for centuries, maybe at this stage, and because you you would want the doctor to to try to do that, and mm-hmm. he's basically pushed into this impossible position. Uh, I also like that it sort of creates canonically a reason for regeneration to be different in the new Who era, right? Some sort of hangover right, it's from. Got the- from the, the yeah, the whatever. Khan's liquid. So it's like, the only, know. it's the only new who regeneration to not happen in the TARDIS. Oh, yes. interesting trivia point. Which is a really, it's a huge, like sticking point for me. Is like they need to stop regenerating the Doctor and the TARDIS. Like right, please, like. Go I was really, room. Why does that bother you, Elisa? Because it's, I mean, I I know the reason they do it is because it's the easiest way to prevent leaks. Like that's probably a right. big reason. Can't but, have it on location. Yeah, they can't do it on location, but they could do it on a different clothes set. Um, mm. I just feel like it's it's happened too much. It's boring. Um, the doctor is like, it's yeah, he they're in there, him or her is in they're in their safe space. Um, and then you just have the setup where like now the doctor is in a crashing TARDIS. Like, please, no more crashing mm. doctors and crashing TARDISes right. losing their memories. It's just it's it's it's, it's also it's wife abuse. I mean, really, he's, he's <laughs> that too. every time he sets. That he's gonna lose his no claims bonus on yeah. his TARDIS yeah. insurance. If thirteen, thirteen regenerates in her TARDIS. Mark my words. I will. I will. I will make an angry, an angry tweet. Like if you're listening, Chris Chibnall. Yeah. <laughs> please don't. Please. Well, make sure. What if she regenerates in a master star? <laughs> I mean, that's slightly different, but not much better. That's like just. Like regenerate somewhere. Yeah, else. I got gotcha. you. So I want to talk a little bit about the other mini series. So just for a second, I know it's like very forgettable compared to the Night of the Doctor, which is I forget what it's even called. It's just the the fall it's of the Arcadia. Last, the last day. Yeah. Last day. That's oh, it. Yeah. And it's, about it's, that. it's very forgettable, um, <laughs> as you've just demonstrated. Wow. It sinks. But I, it, it touches on a thing that here, and I don't think it really bothers me. I don't think it ruins anything. Um, but sometimes Doctor Who, I feel there's missed opportunities, I guess, often in Doctor Who. And there's not that many in this one. I think there's probably 90-some percent of the opportunities mm-hmm. they, they took, and they were great. But with the Time War itself, I feel like in this episode and in other, other places, they make it a little too like conventional. Like It's almost like everyday warfare like with ships and Daleks shooting and that's all fine. And I understand the sort of spectacle need and the narrative need, and you got to like, you know, have action. But I also like always in my mind, as I you think about the time war in those, certainly in those early episodes when you didn't know much about it, I kind of like the idea that there was more to it, that there was more manipulation of time itself. And it was really more of like a strategic thing. And that the actual like, you know, people shooting ray guns at each other, was a very minor point of it. And that's, that's kind of what, I guess, like I say, it doesn't really bother me, but I also feel like it's a bit of a missed opportunity to to not show more of that sort of like time manipulation, erasing people and entire uh, civilizations from the time stream. And I, 
in the same way, like, I don't know if you guys know Star Trek Voyager, but it's like, in there, there's like a two episode arc where the, someone has a massive time weapon where they, they just literally erase whole civilizations from the galaxy and it changes mm. the fabric of time and, and even everything that happened within the episode up to that point, right? So I thought that sort of nature of war would have been kind of more interesting to explore. But. In um, uh, which episode is it? The end of time, um, part one or part two? I don't remember when when the tenth Doctor lists all those all those weapons. Um, right. And I mean, the moment is on that list, right? That's where um, where Moffat took it from. Um, yeah, the nightmare. They child. all have crazy <sighs> names, yeah. And that's kind of like that felt like that that's you know the the time war seemed like a thing you could never show us because it would never live up to expectations so maybe um you know maybe it was an impossible thing to shoot anyway but i actually had weapons i I had the opposite experience with with uh the last day i found that so terrifying that i've actually only watched it once because it does have that so first of all it's the you know it's very second person like you are the soldier right. being brought into the sky yeah. trench for the dalek attack. yeah that's pretty good uh, and then you get the sort of flash forward to yourself dying or your companions dying and that was so creepy to me that like it's it's rare with modern who that i get something that so creeps me out that i won't watch it again but mm. this that was the case with this one so i thought it it did actually like I, I get what you're saying, like you know, it's that well, it there has, needs to be more timey wiminess yeah. the time war, but I, I, th- this one had enough for me to send me send chills down my spine. Yeah, it's it's like like I've accused Moffat of like when he's at his worst, he he just does things and he doesn't earn them, which you know that again, like here in this story, <laughs> I think he he earns it all through Agreed. both what he did and then, <laughs> we'll agree, and everything, we'll but, but like in. This particular one, it'll be like there's a point where it's like, oh, there's 400 sky train. I forget what the number is, but it's like there's a lot, and you know, only one has ever been breached in the history of everything or whatever. So mm-hmm. don't worry about it. And then they just do right. The Daleks just do it, and you're kind of like, well, how? Like, how do these work? Like, like you, you didn't earn that. You know what I mean? Like, like what did they use to do this? Why were they so confident that the Daleks couldn't break through it? And then suddenly they just do like. And again, I, I realize it's like a whatever seven minute online thing, but like I want to know that stuff. Like you can't just do it and and have it. Like in other words, from the outset when they did that, I kind of couldn't quite take the rest of it seriously because uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't fully bought into it. So uh, I still liked it. I mean, it's it's well made. Obviously, and I, I do like the device of, of the first person view, but ultimately, it just it's like I'd say I think it's it's a fairly forgettable addition to everything around it looks it looks very expensive all of the (laughs) the time war stuff is like the budget um (laughs) it is difficult with the time war you you do have to sort of distract attention from the fact that it is inherently unfilmable and it's sort of it's better in your head as canon like you you make up what the nightmare child exactly and one thing i will say about it being sort of convinced the dog conventionally destroying themselves by zapping each other it actually as a way to explain how any Dalek survived is actually mm. makes way more sense that, yes. you know, a, a single Dalek ended up surviving on earth and then the emperor also survived, which would naturally be the most protected ship. Um, yeah. You, you yeah. do see one ship spinning off at the right. end there, which is a sort of nice nod to this is how the Daleks survived. Yeah, uh, nice. I love it. But yeah, you, you got to distract from, from the uh, inherently unreal nature of the time war. And I think that by, 
by focusing on the number of children on Gallifrey. It's just a wonderful plot point in this episode and allows you all those scenes where, like, that's basically all we see on Gallifrey, right? Uh, As opposed to the the War Council and as opposed to the Shack. Uh, Well, that's just because it's the episode call. I just mentioned it, I forgot. The end of time is like happening off to the side, just off screen. That's happening. Yeah, kind of like yeah. Timothy Dalton is locked over there. It must be like right before simultaneously away from it. Yeah, (laughs) because that's the capital, and this is Arcadia, right? So, yeah, I like how he didn't forget about that, and they like, in other words, that Moffat was like, "Well, it can't be the High Council because we know what they were doing and what they did, and so it's got to be this other, you know, War Council, which kind of makes up." But honestly, like, he didn't even have to do that if they were just a bunch of ragtag people around a holographic table like okay high council's not doing anything like what are we gonna do um that's fine this this these time uh time lords unlike the high council they have access to a really cool laser cutter because they have these great collars like i noticed that (laughs) i remember like I mean, I love this episode, but I even remember maybe it was the experience of seeing it on the big screen, but I remember constantly like my mind wandering and like kind of missing bits of the plot because I was distracted by stuff like that. I remember just staring at those Gallifrey collars and loving them and then like, oh, crap, I forgot what they're saying. Um, but there, there's just the detail <laughs> in this episode is magnificent. You know, you maybe ever do a puppet? So... You ever do a puppet of those guys? I don't I don't have a laser printer, but I would. Or laser <laughs> we'll cutter, I mean. We'll get you a 3D printer. printer laser cutter and do those cool things like there's some really great stuff like the prop department they went to town yeah. um yeah. They, they're like we have extra money Go well, you definitely feel in this episode like everybody's bringing their a-game like not yes. like just the cast but the, the, the crew the production like everybody was like this is i mean the, mo- the moment also the moment. features some beautiful laser cutting <laughs> <Yes>. indeed gorgeous <laughs> That fantastic Big red button at the and there, it's always really, really cool. Yes. Um, the the interface is hot. I do my best. <laughs> uh, love that line, which was also in the Eccleston version, by the way. Wow. Uh, I love. So, can we talk about how, like, almost? And I think you're the best qualified for this, Chris. But how mm-hmm. just like a uh, quintessentially British this episode is, <laughs> and. There are so many gorgeous shots of London. There are landmarks galore. The Tower of London, the, the National Gallery. Um, there, like, it's, it's, like, I feel like, it, as, as we were saying at the beginning, it's a celebration of everything Doctor Who is. And mm-hmm. it, is it is a British show. It's about, there's British culture. Like, it's very, uh, I just feel like the, there is probably not many other episodes that really feel like, oh, yeah, like, this is, this is, Doctor Who proudly being a British show. Yes, and I, I'm not sure many Americans knew Darren Brown uh, mm-hmm. when when this screened. Like he's beca- since become a, a big Netflix star, uh, but in 2013, I don't think he was well known over here. So that, you know that little insertion of the the name is definitely uh, one for the Brits. Um, and uh, yeah, the national use of the National Gallery. Uh, which is one of my favorite buildings in London. I absolutely love it in there. Is is wonderful. Uh, the, the suggestion that that's where the Doctor would want to retire, I think, feels feels accurate. Um, yeah, and there's all the, the stuff the, with the, the Queen. I mean, you know, it's got got yes. got a, some royalty in there, and of course, the Doctor <laughs> marries the Queen. 
kind of making yes. him the king of Britain. Yes, <laughs> arguably, arguably the Doctor is not only the president of the world uh, in absentia, but also the king of England in yeah. absentia. But there's uh, also a great callback with the, or I guess maybe the Shakespeare code is a callback to this, but it's like just yes. one of those little hanging threads that Moffat's like, I gotta wrap that up. Yeah, there were, there were so, we forget how that was a hanging thread, both mm-hmm. with the, the end of time and the Shakespeare Code. You know, RTD had kind of left that hang there, that something happened with Elizabeth first, but we don't talk about it. <laughs> and Moffat was like, no, nope, I'm going to take that. I'm going to grasp that thread. I'm going to tie it up. I'm going to give him plausible deniability for why he married the Queen, because it's not it wasn't actually a romantic thing. He was just trying to sniff out some Zygons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, wonder if, nice. I, wonder, I wonder if Moffat had a big list of like hanging threads and he just like had a Sharpie and he's like, yep. Yes. Yep. Well, yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't you as a fan, if you were in that position, right? You'd be like, <laughs> I've really got to tie this up. It's been bugging me. I've got to pull that thread. Well, and, and reintroduce the Zygons, which I, yes. you know, I got to say, like, amazing. Again, in terms of everyone bringing their A game, they are some of the best looking Doctor Who. I mean, I love Doctor Who. I love, I love kind of a, a, a badly uh, made monster, but the, the Zygons are not that. They look amazing. Like, yeah, they're gorgeous. And just they are. all the sort of the gross and effects. The, yeah. the, the, the transition um, with, um, with uh, Kate turning into yes. mm. fan that stood out to me this time too. I was just like, "Wow, this is a it's really in, good scene." It's so good. It's well done, yeah. and they they did it in like slow mo, which is like really hard. That shows that they're not trying to hide anything. Well, and I felt mm. I think they played up the sort of the what the Zygons do very well when they duplicate people and their memories and the weird confusion that might even not just put on the viewer, but the the beans themselves you know which i thought was really a good thing to play and then that's played like i think every all the cool stuff about the zygons that is you know touched on here because there's limited time is fully blown out in in the two-parter in uh uh, sorry uh all these era that's like you think about their story right yeah the um they lost their planet in the time war and you can't you know they kind of should be more sympathetic because of that but since here they're played more conventionally bad you never quite feel it, uh, but you do later, right? So there's so there's there's so much um, actually depth to these to this villain here that mm. um, you kind of wonder why didn't they bring them back sooner? Right? You know, it's kind of like you you tick them off the list of of you know you obviously did the Daleks, the Cybermen, the Master, Davros, and they went did RTD went through all the majors, but you know some of these other ones. I mean that that once you get to the sort of I guess you might consider the B leagues of the Silurians, etc. Like there's a lot to unpack. Um, and some of the books have done it and, um, you know, we're, we're really still like, I don't know, scratching the surface as, as we're sort of continue to explore with the the other doctors, but yeah, Zygon's top notch here. Yeah. Yeah. I think we forget how much they were, uh, beloved and, and missed by the old fans, uh, you know, in, in, in this era. And it was, yeah, it was a risky move to bring them back. And uh, especially since you you would think it would be the Daleks, right? Or some the Cybermen, like you know, it's the 50th anniversary. We got to have them as the bad guys. It's like, eh, it kind of don't. And you know, he wrote something better for what what makes like how many times have we seen the Daleks invader? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got to be at least a few dozen right now. Uh, so you know, by by going with the Zygons and doing it in this kind of clever way, um, 
Yeah, I think I thought it was really outstanding. And I got to say, like the the whole thing where the ending, you know, that the, with with them at peace, you know, making peace with the Zygons by being the same as each other, you know, and, and circumventing this catastrophe that they otherwise would have to do, you know, obviously works extremely well up against the time war where they're almost make the opposite decision. Um, worked really, really well. Yeah, it really, I mean, you know, I said this before on paper, it shouldn't work. Um, it's, it's astonishing watching back. I was, I was, um, amazed that it's, it's really just three locations. It's, it's just, it's just London, modern London. Right. It's 1562 and it's Gallifrey. Right. And there are, you know, locations within those, like London, it's the National Portrait Gallery and the Black Archives, the Tower of London. Uh, you know, 1562, it's the uh, the tower and the the field, right? Um, and then, yeah, Gallifrey, the, the shack and the war council. Clara's um, school, briefly. Yeah, yeah, brief, uh, brief Cole, Clara's yeah. school. Is it Coal Hill School? It is Coal, Coal, it is, Coal, yeah. Coal Hill School. Which, which I guess they built into... And, that the which old Tartar's um, Lane, which is kind of weird, is there too. And <laughs> I think there's some throwaway sign that's like it's an it's an extension or an expand. I don't know. Like they clearly like you know built it or whatever. Uh, and we we get to see that Ian Cheston is uh, was right? the, the principal chairman. Like chairman. The chairman. Yes, uh, I which guess is it's nice grown one. into some kind of campus, right? Like I guess I don't know. It feels like it feels like Cole Hill School just got a big upgrade since 1963. Right. Well, that's yeah, where I, class was set. I never yes. I didn't really watch that, but oh yeah, yeah. Unless we don't talk about class on this podcast. Okay, never mind. It does not exist. <laughs> that's that's the follow up podcast where we watch all of class in random order. Um, <laughs> that's a yeah, a week, a week long podcast. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's lovely. The opening is lovely for for old school fans. Seeing Totters Lane, seeing the policeman, uh, seeing the the old, you know, intro, which was done in a, a new three D way. Right. Uh, I guess we should talk about the three D ness of this because oh, it yeah. again something else that shouldn't work that kind of was a fad at the time having three yeah. D movies. Unfortunately, much the era of Avatar yes. and. Uh, and yet, amazingly, it works here. I'd say this is probably one of the yeah. best examples of a 3D movie. Well, because they went, they went in, not out. And that's how you do yeah. it with the painting. So you could look in and it still works even if you're watching on your TV. Um, the painting effect is beautiful. Um, yes. mm. Such a clever way to do that. I mean, this is like kind of Moffat at like his best of coming up with super clever ideas because it works for the storytelling. It like symbolically, it's really interesting and visually, it's really interesting. Um, and the effects team just killed it to create this bizarre the the cup of soup. Um, mm. The is is <laughs> cup of soup known in the U.S. By the way, was this? Yeah, absolutely. Did, did we introduce? Oh, it is. Okay, good. I mean, I think we have our own brands, but we have cup cup of soup. Like, I, 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 I grew up in Canada, as it turns out, and uh, I we had cup of soup. Let's do cup of soup. Yep. I think there was a, a giant cup of soup in Times Square. That's one of the famous like ads. It was just a cup of soup, like literally a three D one, and it steamed um, for oh, like nice. many many years in Times Square. I might have seen that as a child. Um, yeah, we have cup of soup. Yeah, that that was a, a universal reference. <laughs> I thought it was always noodles over here, but uh, it's great to know that, that cup of soup is, uh, there was, is transatlantic. Yes. And, uh, it was a know, time before ramen. 
Yeah. It really, it really seemed like such a British reference for me. Have a cup of soup. It's uh, so sort of a November night in London, sitting around the TV with the cup of soup. So I'm sure plenty of fans were drinking them live. Yeah, someone was eating a cup of soup and they like slurped and they were like, Muffet! <laughs> they spit out of my head. The screen. Yeah, absolutely. Get me some fish, fix, fish sticks and custard. <laughs> Very weird. But yeah, the 3D is, is it's not gratuitous. That's the thing. It's it's great uh, in, with the paintings and then coming out. And it's so, it works so well, especially like that, because it's part of the story and that the triumphant exit from the painting into uh, the Black Archives, just such a, an amazing with the, moment. With the music. The music and even the Dalek flying out and it all works. Uh, and there's sorry about the Dalek, you know? It's like, you know, it's like a- And the showing off. <laughs> yes i love i love those so many great little lines thrown in like they, they the the speed of the uh the, the snappy dialogue and the references come thick and fast but they don't get in the way uh totally. my favorite being you know the the reference to tenant being dick van dyke yeah and again again a british thing americans think dick van dyke they probably think of his his show First mm-hmm. and foremost, yeah. <laughs> English people hear Dick Van Dyke. We think of Mary Poppins first and foremost because that accent will never be forgiven. Sorry, uh, <laughs> I did. You're I British, really you Mary. You're so you're so uh, proprietarial <laughs> about your accents. <laughs> well, it's just it's the fact that that Dick Van Dyke comes in is he. I, I recently rewatched Mary Poppins, so I could say this that he is uh, doing every single accent in the British Isles at once, <laughs> uh, and he's kind of taking us on a tour. Uh, it actually it, watching it again redeemed it because I didn't realize that Dick Van Dyke was also the old guy in the bank. Uh, uh, makes makes Mary Poppins really sing right. right now, so I'm glad. So I good for the Mary Poppins podcast, but uh, but <laughs> I, I, I gotta admit it was a saying, reference I didn't get the first yeah. time, and I just kind of bit glossed over me. And I, I finally I get it now. Uh, and again, like for to, uh, it's great. Tenet has such a good sense of humor, and like I love that how. It's not just that. It's like they really get almost break the fourth wall with deconstructing the tenant era in so many levels. Like he does yeah. his and, sh- and shoes, which yeah, is not not a thing that I that I don't understand. But it's been explained right. to me by British people, so now I get it. But I mean, yeah, from sand context, shoes. <laughs> sand shoes. We we don't even. I think sa- saying sand shoes is a Scottish thing. I think that's that's Moffat Moffat's Moffatiness coming out uh. in the script. Um, yeah. I like they're we, just they're converse. Like that's yeah. everyone right, should right. know what converse are. So. Right. <laughs> He's called well, trainers. We you would just say trainers. Say, exactly. We would say trainers in the UK, but it just trainers doesn't work as well as oops, I am wearing sand shoes. <laughs> um, which is wonderful. And and then he gets, you know, that follow up yeah. granddad and sand shoes. Um, well, then there's the you know, great stuff where he's giving his oncoming storm speech. I think he literally says that to the Brabbit. And then he's yes. just so oh, wait, you're just a rabbit, you know. Like it's it, it, it completely like like as we were. It's funny. This is this is where I thought about the randomizer actually because we we gave him a bit of a hard time in the Idiot's Lantern for giving that sort of speech when mm-hmm. Rose went faceless in that like and he just leaves her body standing there. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks out the door, um, and that was done very seriously. And most of the time throughout his area was is like and it works, you know. That's they keep you know it's a dramatic doctor sometimes, but this time it was just kind of making fun of that 
trope. It's actually really kind of a trope of his era. Like, oh yeah, yeah. it just reverses your expectations. It was really, really yes. hilarious. The the machine that goes ding is possibly my favorite tenant joke moment ever. <laughs> so the, the way he says ding. So seriously, it's machine that goes ding, um, and then uh, downloads comics from the future. I don't know where to stop. Uh, you know, it's it's a blink reference. It is, uh, you know, it yeah. just it's perfect doctory concoction. And and I really want one. I'd love to download comics from the future while microwaving and detecting zygons. Yeah, there's so many great lines. I mean, it's this is Moffat really pulled out all the stops. He, I, you almost think he was saving these for years and mm. putting them in a in a, a notebook somewhere because he just lets it all out. And not only that, like there are so many funny, clever lines, but I really have to give him credit for the dramatic moments too. And there are mm. there are two in particular. And one line, honestly, I I really didn't think it was his when he said it. It sounded like a line from from a historic speech or something. But it's it's when the war doctor says, you know, he says that this I got it written here. It's precise. Okay, great, great men, men are forged in fire. Are, yeah, great men are forged in fire. It is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. Wow. It's just like, wow, exactly, exactly. You're like, holy, like that's that's poetry. That really is <laughs> like, like Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, know, and a wonderful reversal of, of as well of of when uh, when John Hurt was so ornery about his young. Uh, yes. his younger versions by yes. the way it is a little bit canonically it's a little bit weird and off for him to for example be unused to kissing as part of doctor who right uh because he was paul mcgann let us not forget sure. the first doctor to make out with a compen so he's either buried that memory or it's just sort of a you know a, everyone else meta <laughs> but it's, it's also a kind of meta commentary right on old who versus new who which is yes. what i like i like love that one-time thing yeah. yes I, I love that in the day of the doctor it is kind of dialectic where old who and new who get to get mm-hmm. to play it out get to work out their differences and then have a big group hug mm-hmm. yeah it's very cool and you like that for the initial meet cute with with tenant and smith that then uh her crashes i mean I mean, it's so good, I, and and it's 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 just the right length, you know. They kind of have this mm-hmm. back and forth, and then you you kind of like, well, how much of the like, how much of this can we bear? And just when it's about to get too long, John Hurt shows up and then mm-hmm. kind of puts them both in their place. Um, just really well paced. Like it, it's clearly such an important scene, and an important scene to get right. And like uh, you know, Moffat clearly had like a. a a plan going into that and just really pulls it off because then when they're all trapped together in the prison and they can sort of let out their baggage, um, mm. he kind of, he earns it. I mean, he, he earns everything in this one. He just, everything is, you know, set up and paid off like perfectly. Uh, it's just a it's really, that's, like, that's like perfectly a Moffat that he, all those layers of, he has the characters, he has the symbolism with the sonic screwdrivers, which in the previous scene was a joke when they're like comparing sizes. And now it is like the heart of the story. Like only Moffat mm-hmm. could be like, you know, he has the sonics represent two extraordinarily different things, one scene apart. Like <laughs> <laughs> to go from what they represent in that first scene to representing the doctor, which is just 
Yeah. I mean, that's so Moffat. And then, but then of course, uh, all the doc- the doctors were just talking with each other so much. They didn't realize the door wasn't even locked. And Clara ended yes. up saying, saving them anyway, because Clara <laughs> is in this and has a big part to play, but she's always like, she's kind of, you know, she could, it could almost work without her, but she's there and she does mm. some important stuff. Well, she's, yeah. she's the one who eventually averts the uh, destruction of Gallifrey. Yeah, she right, does she, like the two most important things. <laughs> yeah, she she is once again being the most important person in the Doctor's timeline. You mm-hmm. know, having having hopped in it, like she's she's still right in the episode this before. Enormous, yeah, hard to yeah. which conveniently forgot in some ways, but yeah. <laughs> also you could say still ongoing, right? And it's kind of interesting because it's what what this story and the Night of the Doctor sets up uh, is. So this culmination of, of this new who thing where it turns out that there are a whole lot of women who have had this enormous effect on the doctor's life without him even realizing it. There is the personification of the TARDIS, Idris. Um, there's River Song. And in, in, in Night of the Doctor and Day of the Doctor, we have Ohila, uh, you know, uh, right. spurring his new regeneration. Although in the novel, we learn that there was actually nothing in that in that concoction except lemonade and dry ice <laughs> i don't like that twist i gotta say i like the novel a lot. I, I did not like that bit. Yeah. But also uh, clara and and the moment you know the moment changes the course of the doctor's life forever so yes. uh you know I'd, I'd love to see them get together and and talk about how they change his life might not be a scene that uh you know meets the bechdel test but at the same time it just I, I I love that kind of headcanony aspect of it. That are all these uh, people, specifically women, who are manipulating the Doctor's life in some way, and he's he's just a idiot in a box. Who just... But it's it's also like I feel the the most sort of common theme in that manipulation or or, or guiding, I would say, of his life is to kind of pull him back when he's getting yeah. too extreme, you know, and kind of like you know, you're not. Time Lord Victorious, you're not this god or this person that, that needs to be above everyone. You are you need that connection with the people that you're actually trying to save and, and trying to help. And if you ever lose it, you you've already lost. You know, like you can't you, your your life really isn't as meaningful as you thought it was. And I think that's certainly repeated here. It's it's like it's it's a it's it's a repeated thing, but I mean you can you know, all stories are stealing from something, right? And so the more you can sort of um, attach to it, dress it up differently, and, you know, change the lens a little bit on that, I think um, it can it can work uh, again and again. Um, mm-hmm. but Shall we talk about the curator? Let's talk about the curator. Who doesn't love the curator? <laughs> what a surprise. I, mean, I, th- I think it was a surprise. I feel like there were was. rumors... Right? Did did but we didn't fully know. We knew so so uh Tom Baker blabbed. Oh no, like he the, did. The, the but day he didn't. before. That's right in an interview. But also by the by the time he shows up. Who let up, him out? Totally, <laughs> <laughs> by the time he shows up, we'd totally forgotten about it. That's true. Right. And and uh, because it's the very last thing, right at the end, and uh, I, I actually f- went and dug up last night a bunch of reaction videos. Remember those from from 2013, specifically of the curator moment. Like that was the one thing where friends obviously wanted to get reaction shots 
of their friends and literally everyone in it. And so it's wonderful videos. I encourage you to go check it out. You know, people from around the world, very diverse array of uh, people of, you know, different, different countries, different colors, uh, different genders, all just, and in every case, like their mouth drops open, just hangs there. Like, and I feel like we were all united in that jaw dropping Hmm. moment of like what who who is the curator what 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 yeah, which is what he really should have said what what i gotta um, think like even though tom baker blabbed and I, I missed it like i was really trying to avoid spoilers you know I, I, I think same i think i actually managed to not be spoiled on that but even if you knew that i think even at that point like you you at this point in the show the the climax has happened and you had all the snippets of the doctors and you might think oh that was his, he, he gave the voice for his little bit there. And when they show the doctors all in the screens and, oh yeah, that, that, I guess that counts and you're shrugging. And then you might, you might still go into that final scene, like thinking it's, it's a huge surprise uh, or not yeah, thinking that it would happen. No, and certainly not the, you know, the thing we got, they're so, the chemistry, they're so nice together. That little knowing yeah. like fourth wall breaking is just adorable. Mm. Yeah. The, the little wink. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that Matt Smith like, has the chutzpah to yeah. who knows. Yeah, the, the fact that Matt Smith has the chutzpah to wink at, uh, at Tom Baker. <laughs> I love that. He's like, you know, it's not too reverential. I love it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I would revisit my old favorites. Yeah, yeah, yours is probably one of the faces I'd choose. Uh, so the, the, the curator has appeared in other media. He's, he's got a couple of audios. Uh, mm. Apparently, initially, the BBC said, said, said to Big Finish, no, you can't touch him. And then Stephen Moffat intervened personally and said, no, you can. We can have more curator. So he shows up in some Eighth Doctor adventures. Um, and he's in the comics as well. So he's sort of semi-canonically part of the Doctor's future. Possibly the last ever regeneration. Wow. Interesting. Which I, I love that. It's oh, now, now that we have, uh, uh, we should probably talk about it, but now that we know completely different backstory of the doctor hard to imagine that um but yeah with the curator i almost feel like uh i understand the desire not to go there because it's kind of like more this cute moment and you kind of want it to be this singular thing that happened and and it's mysterious but i mean you know those things can't stay that way forever and you you kind of want to as much as you want to guard your memories of things they kind of need to be explored it's kind of like thinking the Weeping Angel should have only been in blank. And maybe they should have, but it's like, ultimately, this is a universe and you kind of like try to figure out new things so to if, do with the things. If that Doctor you have. Who had never done anything new, the show wouldn't have left the 60s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the name of the game. Yes. So, I, so I do like the idea that we have an insurance policy. If the show ever goes off air again, which I don't think it will, but if we ever, ever get another like 1989 to, 2000, to 1996 moment, uh, or you know, ninety six, two thousand five. Like you know, we we can still believe that the show ends with him deciding to come back, the Doctor deciding to come back and uh, to go back to his old faces and retiring yeah. as Tom Baker. Like we yeah. we have the end of the show built in, should we ever need it. Mm. <laughs> Indeed, at least it's, at least it's it's better than Trenzalore, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> so speaking of that. Um, I, there's the bit where Smith is talking about, I think that didn't, that what, if there's one bit of this movie this, that didn't quite work for me, it was when the, the doctors are arguing in the cell and there's a bit where, you know, the moment is figuring out or, or getting 
John Hurt's doctor to figure out that they they did the calculation on the children gallery. Tennant still feels it deeply, and and Matt Smith doesn't for whatever reason. And then they're kind of like, well, why? The one he, who regrets, the one who forgets. And, and yes. it feels it like, rhymes. It rhymes. It, it rhymes, <laughs> and it's a neat little thing. But I don't. I didn't quite buy it with what Smith was saying. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you really don't want to know where I'm going. And he, then he sort of mentions Trenzalords. That's what he was talking about. And it was like, well, I mean, was that really that traumatizing? I mean, it, I was, mean, the, it was the most recent episode. So we have to yeah. mention it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it was like that. That's the one thing that was a little bit hollow and was well, sort of like Moffat sort of, again, skipping to the end and the thing he wanted to do rather than fully earning it. It's a good scene, but I, I just didn't buy it that that Matt Smith 400 years later would like just not. Especially as now that we're many years later, when you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, right, Trenzalore. And then I I have to stop and think about what that meant. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't quite resonate as some other things, yes. Yeah, I think if we'd been watching it in context with the name of the Doctor and the time of the Doctor, it it would land a lot differently. And it's it's been built up the whole season, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, but Trends of Lore felt like the finale of Series 7, not anything bigger than that. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. (laughs) It's one reference, you know. And it's another war. And yeah, (laughs) in in the context of the Time War, Trends of Lore feels like insignificant mm. yeah and um the, the, i want to get sort of the the negative stuff out of the way because i don't want to end on a bad note so the, the one other thing that i think we need to talk about is like i love you know i love watching the special again i really liked it. i watched it with my son too who was he's older now he's seen it before too but he really liked it because he's older and can sort of absorb more and has seen more doctor who so it was an awesome experience but then i remembered what's happened since and I got to say, like, I was not the emotion, the emotional divergence. Like, it was just it's like whiplash, because since then, Chris Chibnall, as we all know, has gone back and destroyed Gallifrey. And he almost mm-hmm. did it on a whim and kind of. A, and we talked about this before, Chris, because I know we one of our first podcasts, we were talking about the recent Whitaker episodes. And I got to say, like, watching this again just made me matter. Like the idea that, you know, this, this, it wasn't just a story point. It was like, honestly, the foundational story of new who and the way Moffat sort of went full circle, went back to that sort of central pillar, made it this great uplifting multi-doctor story and brought it back in a way that wasn't superficial in a way that had real character development and real resonance and had all the fans cheering at the end. Uh, And to just, kind of casually just say, nah, you know, I mean, I, I don't think any, not since like pick your star Wars movie, whether you hate the last Jedi or the force awakens more, but like not since that kind of idea, like has, has there been such a, what I would say sort of, I, I, and you can see where I'm, but by my biases here, but I would argue sort of an outrageous injustice. And I'd kind of like to bounce this off both of you onto like, I mean, where's Lanny only- today? I've only seen, I can't even remember the name of it, The Timeless Children. I've seen yeah. that once. I'm, I just, it's just not for me. <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. It, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't stick with me and it doesn't really, it doesn't, um, 
you know, fill me with a desire to rewatch it and to think very hard about it. So I, I think you summed it up very well of why, because it doesn't yeah. feel earned. Um, yeah, it's, it's not very much in the uh, improv spirit of Doctor Who, right? Doctor Who is supposed to be very yes and. Right. Uh, it's mm. supposed to be. I, I love that the part at the the end of the writer's story where RTD emails Moffat and he's like, "Just just let me know where you want me to park the Doctor." <laughs> you know, which I, I love that idea. I'll just I'll park it here, give you the keys, um, and and it doesn't feel yes and to just burn Gallifrey again so casually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm absolutely with you. I hope that RTD comes back and cleans it up a bit. Um, yeah. But he's yeah. right. He's always having to bring Gallifrey <laughs> back or destroy it. Or well, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he'll we'll duplicate see. it. I don't know. That's why. That's my hope. It. I mean, Gallifrey for another the, universe. The, the cup of soup does that last? Like, <laughs> can Maybe. you just bring it back again? Maybe there were multiple Gallifreys in there. Maybe it's. Maybe it's like uh, Heaven Sent. Yeah. There you go. It's actually, uh, you can re-teleport in a bunch of Gallifreys and just try it all over again. Just Uh, punch that wall until you get to another Gallifrey. (laughs) (laughs) I don't Um, know. Which is is another episode we talked about, like kind of the setup and the payoff. My favorite episode, Heaven Sent, is also a payoff of Day of the Doctor. I love that. I was going to say because mm. when when we yeah. talked about having you on the show, you mentioned that Heaven Sent was uh, actually your favorite. Yeah, what? It's, uh, it's pretty what basic, you, but it is. <laughs> what, why do you do you love that so much over Day of the Doctor? Is it the is it the simplicity right. of yeah, it? You know, because it, it's crazy because it is the polar opposite of the mm. spectrum of Doctor Who. Like mm-hmm. most Doctors, kind of. I mean, it's not. We can't say least, but kind of. It it is. I mean, if you ex- exclude the dream clara and then um the kid at the end like there's no one else in it other than mm. the doctor and the, the one doctor the, the, the shade right <laughs> the one it's the doctor alone um yeah. i mean i remember like um when series nine when they were like kind of hyping it the bbc said well we have two experimental episodes one is really like the doctor it's like kind of just the Doctor Alone, and the other is a found footage episode. And at the time, I remember thinking, man, that found footage episode sounds awesome. Little did we know. <laughs> Sleep no more, where, where we hey. have been. Talk no more. But <laughs> I thought Sleep No More was fun. It was fine. Um, but I mean, <laughs> in comparison to Heaven Sent, we're like watching it and you're like, that's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. what did I just watch? Um, that was brilliant. But I mean, I love it for its simplicity, for its daringness, for what it achieved with so little. And that it's it's Moffat mm-hmm. that kind of, again, him being able to marry really clever ideas with clever visuals. Like he he's such a like a, he's like a filmmaker's writer because he writes mm-hmm. stuff that I I can just imagine the director just you know going to town thinking about how to visually adapt that the idea that the doctor's in a a castle maze and we find out it's the the um the confession dial and i mean the tvs that it's a haunted house essentially um but ultimately it's all about just getting back to gallifrey even though that part is like probably the wonkiest weirdest angle (laughs) of it that (laughs) for some reason it says home i don't know why it had to say home written on the wall for a moment um because he thinks it's the tardis but it's gallifrey but like wouldn't he think it's gallifrey that's like (laughs) well we um, learned in survival that's home Right, so, because the cheetah people always teleport home. You teleport there back we, to the target. There we go. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember thinking, 
very deep cut. I remember thinking after um, Day of the Doctor that it's like, oh, great, this is the setup for for series. Um, what 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 would have been the next series? Eight, series eight, eight yes. right? With yep. Capaldi, like so. This is a setup. Capaldi is the Doctor who finds Gallifrey. Like that seemed pretty yeah. obvious, but I thought it was going to be like he hits the ground running. He's like Gallifrey's right. out there. Let's find find it. Like I thought that would be his like mission, but you know it turned mm-hmm. out to be. Yeah, yeah, you know, in the background, you know it was in the back of his head. You're dead on. I, actually, you're, you're awakening memories now in me. That that's right. I did remember thinking like like season eight would be a race to find Gallifrey. And so I actually uh, I interviewed Moffat for season eight ah. at uh, Comic Con that year, and I remember making the mistake of saying to him or suggesting that the fiftieth anniversary had given us what I called a promise that we would find Gallifrey, <laughs> which he. He sort of had a, a, a mini Scottish uh, explosion of like, it wasn't a promise, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like every interview with Moffat ever. And that's, that's, and that's how you inspired him to write Heaven Set. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It took him an extra season to do it. Yeah. Speaking uh, of inspiring people, Chris, I think, you know, we need to talk a little bit about uh, the you being one of the most uh, quoted people, I guess, on on reviewing the day of the doctor. So as yes. I as I was doing my research for uh, this this podcast, uh, I was of course faithfully looking at the Wikipedia entry, and none other, sir, than <laughs> Chris Taylor is listed in the broadcast and rece- the critical reception part of the broadcast mm-hmm. and reception section, and it says Mashable's Chris Taylor stated that the episode is one designed to please fans and newcomers alike, and that it shows why the Doctor is finding his way into ever more homes and hearts. Wow. Nice. Thank you. Yes, ironically, that that review is is uh, it's still up, but because of we've had some changes in Mashable design, it's it's kind of all just plain text at the moment. So uh, <laughs> you can go read it, but it'll be one giant paragraph. Um, but yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed writing that review, and it really did seem like a watershed moment in proving how much um, Doctor Who has pulled in the whole world. You know, this nerdy thing. That, that we've loved for so long that was the definition of nerdery for so long <laughs> had pulled in the home world. Um, I did just want to go back to what Alyssa was saying about uh, Heaven Sent because I kind of realized that both Heaven Sent and uh, Day of the Doctor are stories about the Doctor's trauma, his, right. his PTSD. And that may be the most interesting thing that we ever found about uh, out about Doctor Who, like gets certainly in the new era, it gets super interesting when he has to confront his trauma and the fact that he's been running from his trauma all these years. Uh, I think that's super interesting and super important. And and those two episodes show how you can deal with it in completely different ways, right? Super somber examination of trauma in Heaven Sent, and here in Day of the Doctor, kind of a almost comedic. Uh, look at it you know it still inserts those somber dramatic moments in the middle of it but it's it's such an interesting way to approach it and i hope that a lot of people kind of got through their own traumas uh, or investigated their own traumas thinking about it um but yeah it's it's not something we always think of as as therapy right we don't think of doctor who as therapy but this episode really was and so was heaven sent oh yeah absolutely we need more of those and i think it's it's one of the most convincing explorations of the doctor's trauma. And I think they've done a little bit of that in Chibnall's era with the Gallifrey and all that too. But in this one, like 
so rarely, and this is kind of like why, again, why the episode is so notable and so so great and very aptly named is that typically in a Doctor Who episode, something's happening, the Doctor shows up, helps out, but the problems are someone else's. And he's really just mm-hmm. kind of there as the, the, the traveler who's uh, here to help. And in this one, it's all about him. Like it's all, it's his life, his trauma, his people. And it's, all of it is fleshed, is, is fleshed out, not just fleshed out, but you know, there's all the clever dialogue on top of it and there's real development, you know, he can really, and I guess, which is kind of weird to say, because the, the two doctors forget about the whole thing <laughs> pretty much before they, uh, and it's before built, they it has this, this, um, you know, the, the platform of the all of, of new who building yeah. up to with the time war and the, mm-hmm. you know, the doctor, I mean, when I'm trying to think of like all of the, the, the breadcrumbs, you know, the unintentionally left, I mean, they really not unintentional, but like, this was obviously never the plan. Like Mava had to go back, pick up the, the, the breadcrumbs and put them together mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and work from there. Like having that foundation of, of the, the, the tracks that him and RTD left in, in New Who of what the time war was, what the doctor did, how to resolve that. And also, I mean, again, it's uh, so many levels that, uh, you know, have to be built upon so many hoops Mava has to jump through to make it all work. <laughs> Yeah, and many many say, references like the, the the ravens having batteries. I think that was from uh, uh, Power of Three. Oh, I missed that uh, one. What did they, what did yeah. they say? Yeah, what yeah. Nice. It's, it's just a throwaway a line chip, at the beginning. It's a Chibnall episode. Ah. Oh, yeah. There was a throwaway line when they're at the Tower of the Raven, uh, Tower of London, where uh, Kate notices that the ravens are looking a bit sluggish. The batteries need and, to be changed. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I love that, and that's deep. I can't even remember the original reference, but like people, it's like more randomizer work, Chris. We just did face the raven <laughs> two two episodes ago. Boom. Ooh, yeah, good point, good point. Wow. But yeah, at the same time, you have references to to who that like even the most casual fan can get, like the scarf, mm-hmm. um, which is actually canonically, you know, the fourth Doctor's scarf. It's been passed on, passed down. Um, but you know, we, we don't even spend any time dealing with it except for Matt Smith to say nice scarf. Yeah. And you have unit, of course you got to do unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just a thing. And then of course, like, you know, that's the seventies acknowledging the seventies, eighties dating protocol. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 On which decade it's from, um, Jack's time thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around things. How Clara can <laughs> save the day. Yeah. You gotta have <laughs> the, the vortex manipulator. Later, that's what it's called. Also, um, uh, uh, Rivers' high heels are in the Tower of London. Mm. They're in the yes. Earthblock archives as like dangerous weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that uh, he made all fans' head explode with the uh, the board that you see, where like you know Sarah Kingdom and Mike Yates are together, and you're like, how? the hell did that happen well and also but chameleon one... is so prominent yes. i mean it's just <laughs> killing. There. but wow. there was one thing moffat wanted to put in the the black archives that he couldn't i, I don't remember i feel like this is something he said at, at at gallifrey one he wanted to have a poster for the um you know the doctor who film um, yes with, the peter um, cushing films peter cushing film and they said they couldn't get the rights because they don't own oh them. yeah that makes sense but, <laughs> but it would be so like like as if that was the like fictional a, version in this yeah, universe. Yeah, an in-universe Doctor Who film. <laughs> 
Yeah, which which was supposed to be, uh, you know, look at what the Americans do with with the Doctor's <laughs> story when they get their hands on it. Which is, I, I love that he managed to get into dig at Americans' uh, relationship to history in there. It's like, could you imagine Americans with the ability to control time? You've seen their movies. <laughs> um, which is, <laughs> you know, normally if you're thinking of having, uh, you know, writing a show that is simulcast around the world, inc- including across the United States of America, you might perhaps be a little more respectful. Uh, but no, <laughs> we can take it. We can take it. It's expected. More than there, there... knows that Americans love to be uh, snarked at by British yeah. people. It, it is just a, a favorite pastime. Well, and they're right about timeline. I mean, come on, let's be real. <laughs> um, guys, that moment with Capaldi's eyes and eyebrows. Yeah. Oh, MG, like. Can can you remember that the cheer? I was in the theater when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Like that, the whole theater just got That's went nuts it. in that second. You know, all thirteen, and it was just no, uh, all thirteen. Which was why this this had to be lined up so perfectly with like when they did the Capaldi reveal. Mm-hmm. You know, we were sort of expecting that. We were hungry for more. We didn't know exactly when the regeneration was going to take place. Exciting this, time uh, that yeah. was in Doctor Who. Ugh. And you had that live reveal of Capaldi where everyone right. knew it was him anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it still still worked to create that excitement, that sense of like, you know, the, the, the continuity of it. Well, it was kind of one of these things. I mean, yeah, it was more of a marketing exercise, but it was also like Doctor Who was becoming and had become at that point a global phenomenon and giving more outlets to celebrate that, uh, you know, it, it's almost like you can't lose. And I do feel like, you know, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating in that I do think the show is pulled back a little bit, or it seems like it has, and that there's not as much occasion, there's not as much franchising of it, it feels like, you know, in the way that Marvel and all these other sort of franchises are are just constantly at you. I mean, not, mm. not, not that Doctor Who could really do what Marvel's doing. I mean, maybe it could, but I mean, the this... I don't know. They, they, they these long gaps between seasons, and it, it's kind of feel like a gives us like a lot of time to do podcasts. But I mean, I'd really love to be able to talk about uh, more stuff actually going on with the show. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, Doctor Who is coming back a week from tomorrow. There are no ads. There is no indication. Mm. If I wasn't on social media, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean there's I a trailer. Never, yeah, there's a trailer, but, but it's, I've never seen it. I mean, you know, there were there were every season of Doctor Who. I feel like it's, it gets a level different level of fanfare, um, especially in the states. But um, I mean, the fiftieth was pretty huge. But even leading up to the fiftieth, I mean, really, like kind of Matt Smith in general had a big push because the amount of ads with Matt Smith. Mm. I mean, there were billboards in New York City yeah. everywhere with Matt Smith on them because that was really kind of like, hey, America, this you can like this. We're going to give it to you now, and we're really going to you know, push it on you. But I mean, it, it wasn't like, it was a good thing. Um, I remember like those billboards. Yeah. I remember those billboards. They, they made great use of Karen Gillan, but yep. also they had like, it was almost 3d in itself. Cause Matt Smith's hand yeah. was larger than his entire body as it reached towards the view. Yeah. yeah. Those were great. I mean, in the, the 50th, just, there was so much media. It was so exciting. I mean, oh, maybe, maybe this means that flux will surprise us. Uh, with, I mean, with I hope it's I hope it's low key. They're really yeah. playing the cards close, and it's low key awesome. We'll <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we we can we can but hope at this stage. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exciting to know that uh, 
uh, we will very shortly know what the next season is like. Um, and possibly some listeners to this podcast may have already seen the first, the first arc or the first chapter. I think they're calling them of, of flux, which so. may be Halloween themed. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Maybe. We've been talking about that. Maybe. Well, it is called the Halloween apocalypse, right? Yes. The Halloween apocalypse. Is the I've been, chapter. I've been trying to will a doctor who Halloween special into existence for years. So I like to, again, <laughs> claim credit for predicting things. Um, Nicely done. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love Christmas specials, but it's about time. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, guys, I think uh, to we, we're winding down on the day of the doctor. I know it's 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 well, uh, well, let, me, let me ask you guys this, because, of course, we wouldn't be Doctor Who fans if we didn't have something to complain about. Uh, Pete, you, you've mentioned uh, a few uh plot holes inconsistencies uh elisa do you do you have one thing that you feel that you would change about dare the doctor (laughs) yeah i have one very nitpickish thing is that when matt smith falls out of the tortoise at the beginning he's hanging from the door but then he's like hanging from like an apparatus underneath it which obviously is for matt smith's safety because he is not a time lord and they needed (laughs) something safe for him to hold on to while he was actually um you know over um london right um and then he some things he could let go and hop down to safety but it looks real bad (laughs) and it annoys me every time you know what i'm talking about it's like he's like on monkey bars it's like like, yeah something like that you can't it's like a continuity thing and then once you see it you can't unsee it and we've all got i've actually now that you've said i actually haven't looked for that and now i will and now you've ruined the scene for me super annoying um (laughs) That's my biggest criticism. No, I that, mean that, that scene. By the way, I, I like that. You know, Moffat has got once again filled in a gap with with the novel because he does. I was always like, well, how did they? Did they not even knock? Did they not even right? They, try? they said we didn't know you were home. Yeah, in the novel, uh, Matt Smith is actually kind of having a bit of a freak out, and he's just had a vision of the War Doctor, and that's sort of causing him to hide away in the TARDIS. Mm. So he right. doesn't hear when someone knocks at the door or he ignores it, thinking that it's just like a vision of part of the vision of the War Doctor. I, I like that. I like that better. If you just built a little bit of that in, I mean, maybe also um, Martha could have written that the TARDIS was trying to help him by like manifesting mm. this handle underneath, so he'd have something to hold on to to make it safer. That would have been also an acceptable um, <laughs> retcon for the novel. <laughs> yes. What if he was just holding then... onto the phone and the cable was just like super strong because it's you know I don't know he'd be dangling Is a little he, more. Didn't he dangle from the phone? What episode maybe. was that? Uh, I feel like probably it's, a tenant thing. It feels like <laughs> a tenant one. I don't remember, but this was not that. Yeah. Fortunately. But I gotta say that beginning. I mean, so so cinematic, um, and I love that. You know, as a, as a Doctor Who fan, you're always you. I really love the credits normally, and it's always to me they're kind of like part of the show, and I, I never I never skip the intro when I'm doing Doctor Who. You know, because I just feel like you it kind of pulls you in and also pulls you into an individual Doctor. But that's why I think, you know, again, this is such a standout thing. It's not a normal episode. And that, you know, when he's dangling over London, these gorgeous shots of London Bridge and then the gallery and just, you know, the words Matt Smith, you know, across there, Mm -hmm. like David Tennant. And like, you're just really feeling, oh, yeah, man, like I'm ready for something epic. Yeah. Seeing that on the big screen was like, wow. Yeah. 
Just yeah, he swings sense. across the screen as the uh, I Am The Doctor theme comes yes. in. Man, his I Am The Doctor was all over this one, man. I mean, I know it's an epic piece of music, and I'm glad they kind of put it to rest after the Smith era. It's a very much a Smith thing, but uh, it borders almost on overuse in this one. Uh, borders on it. It still works. It's really good. They do all the riffs on it, um, but it's it's all over it. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, let me let me give you uh, just a couple of small uh, niggles that that, that I do have it, with, with this episode. The the use of the inhaler as as uh, Osgood's thing it's it's a nerd trope. It's a trope about nerds that they need to use asthma inhalers. Also, the glasses. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, you I, know, can we? I've can complained we about this before. Doctor Who is atrocious on representing characters with glasses because mm. I mean, I'm all for you know, Doctor Who has done a lot of firsts with companions, but it's never had a human companion wear glasses, and that's kind of amazing. In over 50 years, there's never been a human companion <laughs> with glasses because I'm not counting wow. them at all. Bad. Right. It's bad. Yes. It's a bad. I mean, they've they've done a lot of other um, really awesome, inclusive things, and somehow missed glasses. <laughs> I believe the doctor is uh, Matt Smith's doctor is wearing Amy Pond's glasses. Yeah. No, because from... yeah, because she gets her glasses because it represents that she is aging and she needs <laughs> reading glasses, and then he immediately steals them, which I think is pretty bad in terms of. <laughs> It yeah, lets him have that bad, moment with Bennett, look. so I'll forgive them. They both sort it's of pointed at each other's glasses. <laughs> yeah. But at least the, the inhaler at least becomes part of the plot, so I'll, I'll forgive that part. The other thing that I just I can't figure out, and it makes my brain hurt to even try to figure out, is where where are all the TARDISes? Uh, especially right. How do they get into the painting? Whose TARDIS goes into there? Uh, I, I just, yes. I, I'm not able to keep track of that, and it's kind of one of the first things that jumps out on a rewatch right when they come out of the painting it's like well how did they get in there where's the TARDIS in there shouldn't they come flying out with the TARDIS uh, but then you don't get that wonderful slow-mo reservoir dog scene of them walking towards camera um, so prepared to forgive it but yeah I, I just I need a, I need like a chart I need a whiteboard with explaining right. where the three TARDISes are at any given time yeah that's back. that is a big hole coming to think of that actually you know I've never thought of that till now the but it makes sense the bar- it was like a couple miles from the barn yes right but if they if they're in 18 what is it 1862 1892 wherever 1562 sorry <laughs> yeah tens was sorry. in 1562 so they, they land back there to go in the painting so the TARDISes yeah. are still there or they took the painting the TARDISes into the painting it's never really clear because then they walk out in 2013 and so how do they then chase the hurt doctor back to Gallifrey in weather time lock I guess the moment just figured it out for them like, yeah, like, hey, opened up wormholes I'm sure that's what yeah. Moffat would say the, the moment as TARDIS valet park Parking yeah. uh, service. It's like, oh yeah. Could, I mean, <laughs> just when, give us your key. With the uh, time of the Doctor, like people asked Moffat, like, how did they get out of that at the end? Because we never see. Right. And, and he said they walked out, and yeah. that's it. And he's like, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, haven't got it figured out well, myself. That is so. one of the things I remember when this debuted. I almost felt like that was a cliffhanger or a borderline cliffhanger. In in. Um, Time? No, not time. Sorry. Uh, what is it? Name of the doctor. Yeah. Oh, name. Sorry. Yes, I thought like, name. well, how are they going to do it? <laughs> and then they started this one just yeah. sort of 
out of the blue and it's like oh okay um i no, guess i think i thought the same thing i yeah. think everyone did which is why they were asking moffat like how did we get from there to here yeah yeah and it's kind of another weird trauma thing i remember thinking about that too right because because clara's just had this intense trauma of uh you know being in the doctor's entire timeline being splintered shattered right. shattered throughout time and space and then everything's fine she's back to school yeah, i'm really almost surprised significant. that they didn't like meet another clara but i guess we were over that like they all the other claras were dead <laughs> by that point <laughs> and it's almost like the doctor's trying to gaslight her and trying to you know let, let's ignore that thing that happened let me take you to cocktails on the moon there's there's at least there's got to be a lost minisode that <laughs> just takes care of all this they really should do it there's got you know what? I mean, this is a good opportunity, honestly. If like a Smith ever starts doing some of the big finishes and mm-hmm. does someone write something, uh, I think it'd be a good thing to explore the rehabilitation of Clara and you know what sort of happened in between. Um, you know, involves some weird so, psychiatrist who turns out to be the master. <laughs> I love it. So, Pete, is is this still? I know that you said last week or last uh, pull to open, you said that this was probably your your top Doctor Who of all time, uh, as it is mine. Have you changed your opinion on, on a second viewing? Has it reinforced or taken away from? I would say on second viewing, it is probably even higher. It's like basically like I, I it's my favorite of all time because it brought back so many memories and, and honestly not very many of the, the confusion or any bad memories because even just talking through some of them is like, oh yeah, I completely forgot I cared about that. You know, <laughs> like the one, even the one we just talked about. Because this is just, it's such a, especially seeing it out of sequence, right? Because you 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 figure out all that stuff, like it doesn't matter, and you just kind of go through it, and it just, I, I really think, like you know, as I was also writing up the notes on why I think this works so well, like why it's so just, you know, the epitome of Doctor Who is this British sci-fi. TV mm-hmm. phenomenon that just has so many facets to it and such a rich, rich, rich history. Um, and it's all being celebrated here, uh, yet still in such a way that, you know, my son, who who is, does not have the encyclopedic knowledge I have, and that he can enjoy it and I can enjoy it with him. And uh, I just, you know, uh, it's it's number one and it's even further number one than it was when I... Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a love letter yeah i mean i i still love Feel the love um, I still love heaven sent the most i think it's just i think it's just too brilliant for it not to be my favorite episode but i don't think it's like the best doctor who episode like even though i love it so much i acknowledge that it's like very depressing also a little triumphant but kind of in a depressing mm. way where day of the doctor is just it's about love for the show and even though it also is like deeply about trauma but it's so optimistic um that it can't i mean it's kind of like it is like the epitome so yeah yeah i mean i really expected it to be i'd say it was the best episode even though i don't think it's my personal favorite and i can separate the two interesting we really expected it to be darker right from from the end of name of the doctor where it's like you know you know john hurt turns around and and that's not not in the name of the doctor like you kind of Imagine from that 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 Day of the Doctor is going to be much more traumatic, yeah. and the fact that they yeah. managed to uplift it and make it so optimistic, I, even from like the like Matt Smith's delivery of that line, making me think of mm-hmm. it. I thought the War Doctor would be far harsher and meaner, but he's just yes. like he's just an innocent old man who's trying to do the best he can. Um, it, yeah. yeah, and props. I just to want to give John him help. a hug. 
Um, such exactly. an interesting choice because I really thought he'd be evil. <laughs> and props for getting John Hurt for that role because he could have done he could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he could have been Caligula, uh, or he could have been this uh, lovely, sympathetic old man. And you know, he was obviously written as a bit of a one-off in this episode, but they've done more uh, with the War Doctor mm-hmm. in Big Finish in a few comics and I think novels. Um, and if they've, I think I haven't. Uh, read or, or uh, consumed all of that, but uh, you know they've they've touched more on his darkness and sort of choices mm-hmm. he's had to make here and there. Um, so I love the, uh, the the ones that that John Hurt did. I listened to a few of those. I read the the novel Engines of War. It's a really great one. Um, and then and they are continuing it with a a John Hurt impersonator. We have that the War Doctor begins now, mm. which I think is wonderful. Nice uh, that we we can get to see more and more of his tenure. They've also tenure that never happened. Just as a footnote, uh, they've also explored very a little bit of the moment in Ooh. a Doctor Who anthology book called I think it's Myths and Legends um, that someone okay. gave me for I think a couple of Christmases ago, and it's kind of fun to sort of like see these Time Lords. I think Barusa or uh, one of one of the one of the I think it is Barusa um, sort of encounters the moment, and because we've seen Barossa num- numerous times and. In the um, uh, in the show, in the old show, anyway, you 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 get to see like the the moment do that past, present, future thing with him. So it's like they'll they'll talk about like like you'll encounter young Barusa as like the Barusa from like the Five Doctors or something. Um, mm. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's again more more fan service, but uh, interesting to explore this interesting, very Moffaty uh, sci fi idea of a ultimate weapon with a conscience one of the better things about the episode of which there are many i love that it's the galaxy eater but the doctor only wants to use it to destroy one one planet right it's very you know very very targeted it's like a targeted atomic device exactly it's It's a a tactical battlefield nuke yes yeah yeah totally all right we have to we have uh before we go i think we really should explore what would have happened if the evil plot succeeded and i have no idea what the evil plot really is here um <laughs> we hash that out first is it the zygon plot so if I the zygon plot succeeds i think it's the zygon plot because with gallifrey i mean the whole point of it i mean it was saved but it didn't get to like still exist it's the cup of soup so it you know that the out the, the outcome looks the same whether it's saved right. or not because it's it's Schrodinger's Gallifrey because of it has to be um, it has to be the Zygons I like then that. Schrodinger's Gallifrey yeah it's it's either saved or it's not saved it's, I mean the Doctor isn't even sure that's why it, yeah. it seemed like a pretty obvious like like a setup for a season like I I remember thinking it was going to be like uh like what's it called the the keys keys to time like they yeah. were kind of doing. But but we digress. We've been through that. But that's what it seems like they were setting up, Moffat. You could have, but it's okay. Um, but it, it does work canonically, right? Because he he learns this through an encounter with another doctor, and we know that he loses his memory of those yeah. encounters. Yeah. So it seemed like, but he didn't know. They didn't know if it had worked. For all they knew, Gallifrey mm-hmm. was still destroyed because it was kind of ambiguous, and he wouldn't have known either way exactly. So. We don't know. So even if they hadn't saved Gallifrey, everything would have been the same. So it has to be the Zygons that you focus Mm. on. 
No, I, yeah, I think that's that's a very good analysis. So the Zygon. So if they win, well, they wouldn't win. Is is the evil plot succeeding them winning, or is it the nuke going off and power blood? Well, I think I think it would be just them taking over England in eighteen sixty or fifteen sixty two. Right. right? <laughs> well, no, not really, because no, that no, was they, the whole point of sending the painting into the yeah, future. They wanted to invade in thir- thirteen. Okay, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So and I then, guess it was them invading in 2013. Right. Yeah. Which instead they invaded in 2015. Yeah. Right? How, how much later was it? In, I think so. In, oh, you mean in the, the the Capaldi two-parter? The, yeah. That happens later. But that's, that was actually the the terrorist section. The yeah. sect of them. So yeah. so the Zygons invade in 2013, and okay, so does that? So either so I think you have to assume then that. Kate Stewart's plan of setting off the bomb doesn't work, and that's that's the thing. Uh, at least you, you really kind of triggered this in my brain. I'm realizing that probably the evil plot—it's not the Zygons. They're they're just refugees. They're just trying to live, man. Uh, <laughs> it's it's actually wow. Kate Stewart with yeah. her megalomaniac plan to blow up all of London with yeah, a nuke right. buried under the Tower of London, right? Uh, which very nearly succeeds. As an evil plot, and I, lo- I love that this is a, a story that examines like the, the what, good guys have and, evil plots too. Yeah, exactly. So this this idea that that she blows it up is the evil plot succeeding. But the Zygons, you know, they're not they're not just refugees, bro. I'm gonna have to correct you there. They're they're being kind of jerks and they're killing people, and it's they not okay. Have, they could have asked for so, some land. And I said yeah, exactly. Can we, so can we join you. So if their plot succeeds. Like they take control of the Black Archive and conquer Earth within a day or whatever they say it is, mm. right? Because they can basically vaporize any freaking army that stands against them. They'll have access to yes. that stiletto. I was going to say they've got <laughs> they've got River Song's heel, so that's they take over the world with River Song's stiletto, which seems so appropriate. Nice, <laughs> totally do that. Hey, I'd surrender. Uh, but maybe it's. I mean. You know, I don't think we fully examine the possibility of, you know, uh, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth I was, was quite the colonizer. Uh, she was, you know, uh, it was under her that the, the first English colonies in North America were, were established, right? Or the, the, the first uh, sense of like what we can bring back from America, tobacco, potatoes, etc. Why not just give the Zygons their own American colony? Well, <laughs> uh, which which then becomes their own state, you know, uh, and the Zygons just become part of the U.S. And you know, we're just sort of dealing with this, you know, fact that the, the Zygons are like a powerful voting block. You have right. to, you know, or politicians keep going to their state and kind of trying to win their vote in uh, presidential elections. Uh, it ended up being like New Mexico or something, right? Because that's where they. <laughs> exactly. So they they all went to this one town because there were, was the it consequences. That, I can't remember because they were around the world, but like there were a lot of them were concentrated there. So is it that there's only a few hundred of them or a few thousand of them? Was that the idea? There weren't that many Zygons, or were there more? I can't remember. Because if there's tens it's, of thousands or even millions, then that's an issue. Because then you need a, yeah, a lot of a lot. It's of space. not clear. It's not clear from the day of the doctor. And I love that it does this sort of classic who thing of making you think they're more monsters. Than oh yeah, there was there scene. was like one rubber suit, and that's the same <laughs> one over and over and over. Again. And there's even within the context of like we only see one Zygon in the painting. 
Yeah. Right. At any point. One. So they put sheets over them, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty clever because who is it? Who was under those sheets? It could be Colin Baker. We don't know. <laughs> so yeah, the the Zy- I I I say let the Zygons try to take over the world. Interesting. They're adorable, and we're all narcissists, right? So we'd all love to meet versions of ourselves that the Zygons could do. That's would create quite a quite a little uh, tourist economy. You know, you you go visit New Zygonia, and uh, you know you put, the, the tourist poster is like you meeting yourself. Um, so it sounds awesome. like we've we've figured out what how the plot would succeed, and, and we've decided whether or not it's evil is is entirely interpretation. I think that's kind of where we're landing on this. Yeah, I think the evil plot succeeding is is Kate Stewart blowing up London right. and having to deal with the consequences of murdering ten to twenty million people. Uh. Oh, that is that does sound bad the way you just put it. So <laughs> they put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> including, by the way, the Queen and you know everyone else who would have died. And again, again, you're into a turn left scenario. We we got here last week with the like, what if the uh, you know the faceless plot of of the idiot's lantern had succeeded? Well, then you've got twenty million faceless people and you know maybe maybe you hurt yeah. them into camps you know it becomes another turn left scenario yeah, yeah you, you've britain. got all the same yep yeah you, another fascist britain that's where it's, we're it's always going hanging by a thread all the time Ooh. thank goodness Ooh. for the doctor <laughs> all righty is always around the corner okay well this has been awesome guys but we we still have one more thing to do which is to mm-hmm. find out uh, it, where we're going next, the randomizer, which oh works in mysterious ways and has been doing, you know, giving us some bangers lately. <laughs> um, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna find out. And uh, so for for those who don't know, the randomizer is our device to figure out how we're going to take these episodes of randomizer, and it has two uh, important and codependent components. There is the random element, which we have termed the, what did we term it? <laughs> the executor? The executor. The executor. Which is actually random.org. Random.org. And then we, we, the executor feeds the codex, which is the complete, uh, the complete roster of all Doctor Who episodes that have been televised, of which we have determined, and this is our unique to pull to open, Determined there are 297 stories so far, up to Revolution of the Daleks. And we find a random number from 1 to 297, and we will do that one next. And Elisa, we would love it if you could perhaps uh, operate the Executor. Sure. But first, but first, we we have a tendency to issue challenges do. to the randomizer. So I, I think the three of us should think of a challenge we want to see uh, next. Um, this is this has been the first Matt Smith story that the randomizer <laughs> has taken us to. Um, so my challenge is going to be let let's see more Matt Smith. I'm in the mood for more. Nice. I'd say, like, right. take us to the episode that is least standalone, <laughs> so we can be, oh, that would be completely challenged to sort of figure it out. Uh, Interesting. 
All right, which would you... take us to time of the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> name name of the doctor. Well, which is also we didn't even touch on that. How confusing all of the episode titles are from that era. It's really hard to talk about all of them as a group. Yeah. It's really hard in my mind, especially time and name. It's Cannot worse. Keep those- it's worse than when they were doing all the Dalek episodes. Something that starts with R of the Daleks. Revolution, resolution. Mm-hmm. Well, even I'm thinking of like resurrection, revelation, remembrance. I think it was like, okay, there are other letters in the alphabet, guys. Like, Maybe but. they've run out. Mm. Okay. The so have you fired up uh, okay. the executor there, Elisa? Have you found random.org? I do, I do have random.org. So you said between 1 and 297, right? That is correct. Yep. And right. if, if we gonna... get an episode we've already done, those episodes are time-locked. So we'll, we'll, we'll spin again. In the cup of soup. Okay. I will hit... <laughs> generate and i will let you know all right whoa i gotta do a countdown whoa 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 whoa. hold on hold on okay count me down down. ah we're not even ready here okay jeez big red big red button don't hit the big red button don't do that (laughs) oh my goodness it's we we, there's ceremony here okay chris you never get to do the countdown you go ahead all right alicia you ready yes three two one don't blink generate Ooh, oh, this is, you might get your wish. This is a pretty high number. Maybe it's a Capaldi. I don't know. 264. Oh my, I think that does sound like, oh, <laughs> it's hell bent. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. What? What? The randomizer loves Gallifrey. <laughs> oh my it, goodness. It is like, but it, it kind of missed again. You know what I mean? Like we just did face the Ravens. So we're going to see how that all turns out. But huh, we, we did not get the episode we were just talking about, which we all are want to see. Uh, right, but this is time. like, I mean, yeah, he's found Gallifrey. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, well, this is wow, but that's interesting. It's just fast forwarding. I mean, you get a lot more of those beautiful laser cut collars. There you go. Ooh, yeah, that's it. The, the randomizer the was listening all along to what we wanted and it's like okay you want you want to go straight to gallifrey got it uh you want you want more colors got it uh you've, you you've want more you seen... want more barn <laughs> <laughs> wow. we didn't even yeah. talk about the barn, the barn. <laughs> which i think is, we i have... always found the barn a little weird <laughs> To be honest, the barn is super weird. Super uh, like, because we're supposed to believe that it's the Doctor's childhood no. home or part of it. Well, I also like it is one of the weird sort of plot thingies that stood out to me too this time. There's not many, but this is the one issue. There's like, why did he go anywhere with it? Like, he gets <laughs> it out of the like. Why? Why do this dramatic thing of landing the TARDIS anywhere and walking a long time to go to some random place? I guess that is special meeting for him. him. Even the TARDIS. But he said he didn't even want to survive. I mean, what does it matter? Anyway, it's, it's a little like, what are you even doing? Why didn't you just do it in the vault, wherever you got it? All right, open it up. Pull up everything. That's that's an excellent point. Well, we, we can talk more about the uh, the shack, the shed, the barn, whatever we want to call it. It's a great it. looking barn, though. <laughs> it, it is. It's so well lit. <laughs> And the security is terrible. Cool. And what are they even farming? <laughs> Sand. Yeah, it's a very Tatooine moment. I was going to say Arrakis. Mo- Dune. Dune's the thing now. Moisture. 
Oh man, this has been too much fun. Elisa, thank you so much for joining us here on Pulse Open. This has been fantastic. Uh, I hope you come around again sometime when we uh, totally when we when we need. Yeah, let me know when you get to (laughs) heaven. So close, like I almost willed heaven sign. I just went one too far. You did great. No, you did amazing. (laughs) That's classic TARDIS overshooting. Yeah, this is so close. Yeah, just. Few centuries off. No few one trillion has, years. No one has operated the randomizer with more aplomb. <laughs> congratulations. And congratulations to you, listeners, for listening to another episode of Pull to Open. It has been incredibly enjoyable talking about uh, this episode of Doctor Who. And uh, just remember, this is Pull to Open, and it's a podcast. And it's a podcast is something you can subscribe to on any service that you like that does podcasts. There's Apple Podcasts, there's Spotify, there's a Google one, I'm sure, uh, and a bunch of others. We're on all of them. So please fire that up, uh, subscribe to us, uh, and leave us a review if you can. Those five-star reviews we like, but really we're happy whatever you want to say about the show. uh, And we'll even read it out on air if you do. Follow us on social. We're super active on TikTok. We love sharing snippets of the show with a little bit of footage. Uh, People are really liking it. We're almost at 2,000 followers uh, if you are a 2000s follower, we will uh, give you a shout out on the show and maybe even invite you on. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Twitter at pull to open 63. Uh, sorry, TikTok is pull to open with no 63, by the way. And um, yeah, that's what we're doing. That's the enterprise of pull to open. Uh, thanks again, Elisa. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you. So fun. Uh, Elisa, where where can our listeners uh, find what you're up to and follow you? Well, uh, I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram, where I still use the Dr. Puppet handles. And I always want to thank everyone who has um, followed me way back in 2013, where I exclusively posted about Dr. Puppet and then slowly transitioned those accounts into my personal accounts. And now I only post about horror and stop motion animation and very little about Doctor Who. So thank you to anyone who still follows me. The, my handle on Twitter is the Doctor Puppet, and Instagram it's just Doctor Puppet. But you know, mostly I haven't talked about Doctor Who because there just isn't a lot to talk about, especially lately. But I'm sure I'll have a few things to say about this possible Halloween special, especially if it's either very Halloween themed or very not Halloween themed. The <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> um, yeah, you can follow me there, and always if you have just found Dr. Puppet, which you can find on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. Just search Dr. Puppet. Pretty easy to find there. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Let me know what you think. <laughs> Still holds up. I, I watched the first episode again last night and, and was charmed all over again. Oh, thank so you. check it out, guys. Definitely the, the, original, the original meeting of 10 and 11. Indeed. You got there first. You got there first. Yes. <laughs> no, it's great stuff. You will, you will definitely enjoy it. Check out all the Dr. Puppet and I almost forgot we're on YouTube now too. Yes. <laughs> so we now have a YouTube channel. So you can, if you've ever wondered what we look like, um, we're there. <laughs> Please be kind yeah, we're gonna in those start, comments. We're going to start dressing up for these things. I'm going to have to get a selection of Doctor Who t shirts um, for, for this yeah, episode. I've. I've I placed uh, Doctor Who action figures from the Day of the Doctor in the background, so so go check that out. Uh, we even have the the Gallifrey and painting, uh, Gallifrey falls no more, in there. So uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm gonna have to get more visual with That's it. That's right. I'm excited to do that. Maybe even uh, level up the cosplay someday. Um, <laughs> you know, if enough fans, maybe when we get ten thousand TikTok followers, that's, that's, um, <laughs> get a 
Hit us up there, guys. We'll we'll dress up what, as whatever you want. Yes, Pete will dress up as a Cyberman. <laughs> oh, challenge me, man! Come on. Yeah. Maybe a Terralepto. <laughs> there you go. That would be tough. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next time.